The New Testament reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 21. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefilable, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you guys for having us. It's a pleasure to... Uh, be here. Very thankful for that. Um, yeah, so as Will said, coming from Ames, working with the Navigators at Iowa State, which I know is enemy, enemy territory for a lot of you here. Um, but yeah, very thankful to be here. And uh, yeah, just have the opportunity to bring God's word to you all. Um, and Will, your illustration reminded me, uh, last weekend we had a student leader retreat um, about 40 minutes outside of Ames, and we had a dessert time. And 
uh, somebody brought something from Casey's. So I went and grabbed this little tiny thing that I'd never seen before and had Rice Krispies on the bottom and chocolate on top. And I was like, ask the students, because I'm from, I'm from Maryland on the East Coast. I'd never seen this before. I was like, what is this? And they said, oh, these are Scotcheroos. And it's a Midwest thing. And I'd never seen them. And they told me, don't get too excited about these ones. The store-bought ones are always the worst ones. And uh, my wife, she actually went to pastry school in Chicago. And so yesterday, uh, last night, she actually made some homemade ones. And they were on point. So, uh, yes, there's a beautiful thing that you guys make out here. Um, so, anyways, yes. So, thanks for having us. So, um, this was from the Christian Post. This is back when ISIS was um, really a, a lot of times in the news and taking over in the Middle East there. So, this was from the Christian Post. So, when ISIS began to uh, control territory in 2014 and established its so-called caliphate, Christian homes and businesses were marked with the noon symbol, the Arabic letter N for Nazarene, that signified followers of Jesus. Traditional Christians were offered the choice to flee and forfeit their homes or pay uh, jizya subjugation tax and remain in the caliphate. Former Muslim converts to Christianity were also given two choices, return to Islam or immediately or be killed. Tens of thousands of Christians fled their homes in Iraq and Syria, moving to camps within their nation or in surrounding nations, and many of those um, at the time were still trying to recover. At the height of the ISIS onslaught, uh, the person had interviewed an Iraqi pastor, um, and as we finished up the conversation, he asked, how can American Christians pray? And he uh, said, this pastor, pray that God will call Christians to stay here. There were so many good and logical reasons to flee. Many of his church members had left for Europe or North America, but he was asking uh, us to pray that some Christians would feel called to stay and continue the gospel outreach in the nation. So there are many of us have read stories of persecution such as this, right? And it's something that God's people, we've endured through all time, all the way back from Cain, uh, right, persecuting righteous Abel, his brother. Uh, and it's with this backdrop of persecution in mind, right, that Peter uh, writes this book. It is written to those who are in uh, modern-day Turkey, uh, to uh, Jewish and mostly Gentile uh, believers. Written by the Apostle Peter, right, who was one of the 12 apostles, one of the inner three of Jesus' um, disciples who saw some things that some of the other disciples didn't get to see and walk with him during his three-year public ministry on earth. Peter embodied in his life what it means and looks like to be one who has a living Hope, right? He's been called the Apostle of Hope, and I believe it's because he was with Jesus and saw all that he did and saw his life, death, and resurrection, and so he was able to uh, know that his hope in Christ was sure. So Peter, who, when pressed about his faith in Jesus, was originally timid and shy, eventually was transformed right into a leader who stood up to authorities and endured persecution and lived a life that honored Jesus because of this sure and living hope. And because he was so sure of the living hope that he had, I believe he was able to write this book to believers who as well were enduring persecutions and sufferings. They've been saved by the blood of Jesus according to God's choosing and empowered by the Spirit to live for him. Uh, They refused to bow the knee to Caesar as Lord, and because of this, they're now being persecuted for their faith. They persecuted because they bore the name of Christ and lived according to the hope that they had in him. And so this book is a book of hope in the midst of suffering, uh, a living hope based on the death and resurrection of Jesus. So this morning we're going to look at um, the reality that because Jesus has been raised from the dead, we have a living hope. That because Jesus has been raised from the dead, we have a living hope. We have a hope for endurance and a hope for holy living. He's given us hope for endurance and a hope for holy living. 
All right, so um, I believe it's this holy living or this hope, this living hope, right, that can have a pastor um, say something that on the outside looks insane. Like, why would you have people come back to a place where it makes most sense to leave as many people were doing? I believe it's because of this hope. So before diving in, I wanted to define a few terms. I feel like a lot of times as Christians, we always throw out words like hope and faith and peace and glory and all these different things. And then you ask somebody like, oh, what does that actually mean? It was like, oh, I don't really know. Or you'll say, oh, this looks like this. And it's like, well, that's actually the same thing you just said for the other word. Um, so I wanted us to kind of look to see what is actually when we use words, particularly faith and hope. Right? Those are quite similar, but I do think they are distinctive, and we see those two words mentioned in Scripture. So they are two different things. So um, a website that I often use in ministry and life is a website called gotquestions.org. Um, it's been very crucial for things that I don't uh, have answers to. And so this is what it says. It says, faith uh, is a complete trust or confidence in something. Faith involves intellectual assent or agreeing to a set of facts and then trusting in those facts. For example, right, we have faith in Jesus, this means we completely trust Jesus for our eternal destiny. We give intellectual assent or we agree to the facts of his substitutionary death and bodily resurrection, and then we trust in his death and resurrection for our salvation. Biblical hope is built on faith, but hope is the earnest anticipation that comes with believing something good. Hope is a confident expectation that naturally stems from faith. Hope is a peaceful assurance that something that hasn't happened yet will indeed happen. Hope must involve something right, that is yet unseen. As Paul tells us, hope that is seen is no hope at all for who hopes for what they already have. But uh, faith and hope are complementary. Faith is grounded in the reality of the past. Hope is looking forward to the reality of the future. Right, so that's kind of what we mean by hope. So Jesus and Paul and the, and the record of the scriptures, right, they show us this reality that we will suffer persecution and in order to endure it, he's given us hope for endurance. Right, Peter starts off his book by letting us know that he's writing to those who are chosen uh, exiles, right? Uh, or a better translation for us might be like aliens or strangers uh, or foreigners, right? So he's writing this book to those who've been elected or chosen by God for salvation. And since they've been chosen for salvation, right, that makes them strangers, aliens, or foreigners in this world, right? They're different. They're not like those who are not God's people, um, because of that, they've been saved by him uh, and been saved by the work uh, of the Trinity, as we see in verse 2, right? So it says that we are chosen by God's foreknowledge, right? And foreknowledge is not something uh, along the lines of, like, God looked down the quarters of time and then saw people that would choose him. Uh, it's not cognitive knowledge necessarily, just like 1 plus 1 equals 2. Uh, but what we see, the foreknowledge in this passage actually means, like, God spe specifically chose in an intimate way a certain people, Right, we see knowledge being a relational, intimate word in Scripture where, you know, it says in the Scriptures that Adam knew his wife Eve. Right, obviously he knew who she was, but he had a relational intimacy with her. Right, or we see the, in the Psalms, right, it'll say God doesn't know the way of the wicked, but he knows the way of the righteous. And we know God knows everything. Um, it's not like he doesn't know who the wicked are or what they're doing, but he's not in an intimate relationship with them as he is with the righteous. So before time, the father elects those who would be his own, uh, who would then be aliens and strangers in this world, and then he sent his son to die for them and to shed his blood, 
right? And he says that there in that specific verse that they were sprinkled with his blood. And Peter's kind of harking back to this language that we see in the Old Testament when the Israelites, you know, they came out of Egypt, they're being taken to the promised land, and they're at Mount Sinai, uh, and then God has them being sprinkled with blood to bring them under this new covenant, right, that they're now his people. And so in the same way, as we're brought into the new covenant with Jesus, we're as well sprinkled with his blood, being uh, uh, taken as his own children, under this new covenant as well. So the Father elects us, the Son uh, dies for us, and then we see the Spirit, who's then the one who applies that work that Jesus did to us, who then uses that to uh, cause us to help us to obey Christ, to become more and more like Him. All right, so the Father elects, the Son dies, and then the Spirit applies. And so this salvation, right, is a mercy from God, and the beauty of it uh, being foreordained uh, is that it's assured, right? It's as sure as the sun is rising tomorrow. And since God cannot lie, and his plans cannot be stopped. We, this is a hope that we can be sure of and that we can cling to in the midst of suffering in this world as strangers and aliens. All right, so verse 3 tells us that we are born again or saved from our sins to a living hope through Christ's resurrection from the dead. Right, this means that our hope is not bound up uh, in a thing, but in a person. And because this person lives and because this person cannot die, our hope is certain. Peter shows us further in verse 4, right, when he says that we are saved uh, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Right? We have inheritance that is stored up, that does not fade, that will not perish like our earthly treasures. This inheritance will last, and we know that we will inherit it. And because of that, we know that because uh, we're being guarded by God through the faith that we have in him. So we're regarded through our faith, by his power, for our salvation that is going to be revealed, right, once Jesus returns. This kind of gets at the thing that um, people will mention, the reality that our salvation is, is already, uh, but not yet, right? So Jesus has come, he has died, he has risen, he has ascended, and we know he is coming back. So our salvation is already complete, um, but it's not completely finished in terms of him returning, ushering in the new heavens and earth, giving us our resurrected bodies. And so we are being continually saved now, and we await our final salvation when he returns. But we know that it will be complete, and because of that, as Peter says, we can rejoice, even if we have to go through trials, because we know that they are temporary and that eternity is forever. And in comparison to our present sufferings, uh, they are small, right? They seem light. As Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us, for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Right, so even though in the, in the here and now, uh, as we live our lives and we go through different trials, through different tribulations, different sufferings, and, and they can seem so weighty right, and so heavy, uh, so hopeless at times, so, so long as it may go for years and years, um, because of eternity, because of what is coming, uh, Paul can say that our sufferings are light. Right? Or Peter can say that even though you may suffer for just a little while, right, it's because they know that what is coming is eternity. And what is coming is so far greater than anything that we can comprehend now that when we look back on our lives, we will say that they do feel light and they did feel like just for a little while. Because of our guaranteed living hope, as Peter tells us in verses 8 and 9, we rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory because we are obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. 
So again, we're reading about persecution, um, and I believe it's right, something we a lot of times think about overseas, but as well happens here in our country, especially being a guy who's on college campuses. Uh, it happens as well on the college campus. So this was from uh, Relevant Magazine in 2019, uh, talking about Duke and Young Life, Duke University and Young Life, the organization. Uh, so it says, Duke University student government had denied the Christian organization Young Life official status as a student group on campus, citing its policy on sexuality. The decision by the Duke Student Government Senate came amid ongoing clashes nationwide between religious student groups and colleges and universities that have added more robust non-discrimination policies. Young Life, like many evangelical groups, regards same-sex relations as sinful. Its policy forbids non-celibate LGBTQ staff and volunteers from holding positions in the organization. The student newspaper, The Duke Chronicle, was reported that the student government senate unanimously turned down official recognition for the Young Life chapter because it appeared to violate a guideline that every Duke student group include a non-discrimination statement in its constitution. But the student government um, objected to a clause in Young Life's sexuality policy. After the student government was told the organization would not change the sexuality policy, it rejected the group. The Young Life policy states, we do not in any way wish to exclude persons who engage in sexual misconduct or who practice a homosexual lifestyle from being recipients of, God, of ministry of God's grace and mercy as expressed in Jesus Christ. We do, however, believe that such persons are not to serve as staff or volunteers in the mission and work of Young Life. Over the past two decades, many colleges and universities have attempted to exclude religious groups because of their positions on sexuality, among them intervarsity uh, and business leaders in Christ. Um, and I know that that happened here recently when I was researching um, for the sermon. I saw that uh, this happened here at University of Iowa a few years ago. A lot of you guys may remember that. I remember being quite surprised about that because I've heard of these stories happening, and I just assumed it was you know, more of the Northeast or the West Coast, but it's happening right even here. And again, this idea of persecution, I believe, is going to happen more and more, right? Again, serving on a Christian campus, I'm aware of the fact that two-thirds uh, of all students who go to uh, college, who grew up in the church, will end up at some point in college walking away. And so as that continues to happen in a society, I believe, is going to continue to shift more and more away from our biblical view on things like sexuality or the family, life, ethics, that kind of thing. Right, so these Christians that Peter's writing to right, are those who are, are standing up for their faith as those who are chosen by God, uh, and they are mocked for it and, and insulted. Right? Again, we see that again happening today uh, in our own day and age right here in America. Right? Being a Christian in society today means that you're backwards, right? that you're, quote, unquote, on the wrong side of history, or that you're bigoted, hate-filled, uh, foolish, or standing on some outdated book. Right. Uh, person, but I personally, in a lot of ways, believe, though, that this is a, a good thing in terms that it's going to uh, cause Christians to really say, like, what do I really believe? Like, am I actually a disciple and follower of Jesus um, when it's hard or am I just doing it because that's the way society goes and it's nice and easy uh, and convenient? Right. Because the reality is, as the text shows us and as history shows us, if you stand up for Christ, uh, you're going to be persecuted, right? These things are going to happen. Uh, I remember when I was at the University of Maryland, uh, my freshman year, I had a philosophy professor uh, who pretty routinely every class would make fun of Christians and say, you know, how dumb and foolish we were for believing in things like the resurrection and the virgin birth and miracles and all that, like that stuff just doesn't make sense. So why do people believe such foolish things? And I'm sure that some of you uh, here as well who have walked with Jesus for any uh, length of time, you've faced um, similar things from friends or family members, coworkers, uh, different things like that. 
But again, but this shouldn't, this shouldn't surprise us, right? Again, scripture is pretty clear, history is pretty clear that this is what's going to happen. What actually should surprise us if this doesn't happen to us, right? If we are walking with Jesus for a number of years and we realize that no one's ever said anything back to us, no one's ever pushed back, then we have to ask ourselves questions of, well, am I actually standing up for Jesus? You know, am I actually preaching the truth that he's proclaimed or am I preaching a watered-down gospel that's more palatable for people to hear? Am I hiding in fear when I'm with my classmates or I'm at work or we're at the family table gathered around or, you know, maybe at a Thanksgiving meal or whatever? Am I shrinking back because I've never you know, experienced any pushback uh, when I bring up, you know, the faith? Because, again, we are told that as aliens, as strangers in this world, as people who live by a different ethic and serve a different Lord, this is going to happen. Right, we're set apart unto God, and we, we speak the truth to a world uh, that is trapped by the devil's lies. And again, this should not surprise us, right, because this is how Jesus lived, right? Jesus came, and he spoke the truth, and people didn't like it, and so they killed him, right? And so when we face persecution, though, we, we don't endure it by gritting our teeth, or we don't endure it by saying, like, you know, things like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. We endure host, uh, hostility in the potentiality or actuality of losing relationships or positions in the workplace because of this living hope we have in Christ. What we endure, as we said at the beginning, by taking the words of Christ, we believe them in faith and live in that hope that he will one day return and bring us into our guaranteed inheritance that is untouchable. And because he has died and has risen again, and because he is coming back, and because he will usher in this new heavens and earth, and because his hope is 100% assured, we endure. We do it because our hope is not in this world or in relationships or jobs or anything in this world that can shift and that changes. Our hope is set on the one who will be revealed one day. And because of this hope, we endure the persecution for our faith. Right? This is how Christians have endured for centuries, uh, and this is how we are called to as well. So we have a hope for endurance, and we also have a hope for holy living. Right? Peter then moves on and uses a word that we're always supposed to be paying attention to right? when we read scripture, uh, therefore. So whenever you see, right, we see the therefore in the word, you say, what is the therefore? And he says that since we have received this blessing, this then is how you should live. Right? And so this is one of the, uh, when I'm on campus and talking to students, uh, a lot of times they'll ask me, like, well, why do you believe in this when obviously there's a million other faith systems and things you could believe? Uh, and I always say it's because of this reason right here. That um, of all the times I've talked to students, and I've done college ministry for, for a little while, and I've talked to a ton of people from all different types of backgrounds and faith systems, and every single one at the end of the day, they all say the same thing. So they may have different terminology, um, different texts, different this, that, and the third, but at the end of the day, they all, to me, every time I talk, I'm end up with the same thing, that either you do these things, you follow these rules, you follow these principles, and then you'll get X, Y, and Z. Right? You do X, Y, and Z, you do be a good person, you walk enough old ladies across the street, whatever it is, right, and then you're going to get to whatever, you know, paradise goal uh, thing that you're seeking for, right? That's what they all say uh, in some way, shape, or form at the end, which, which, which makes sense to me, right? I mean, that's the world we live in, right? When you go to school or you go to work, the teacher doesn't just automatically give you an A, right, or you don't always automatically just get handed a paycheck, like you have to work. You have to put in the work to get paid. You have to put in the work and study hard to get the, you know, the good grade. So that's the world we live in when you do stuff and you receive. So it makes sense. Um, and that's why for me, I tell students, like, Christianity doesn't make any sense to me. That I just exist and I am a wretched sinner in Christ. A God through Christ came and saved me. 
he comes to us first. He says, no, you don't have to earn this. You don't have to strive for this. You don't have to live in a certain way to earn your position as a son or daughter. I'm going to choose to bless you. I'm going to choose to call you a son and daughter through faith first. And then as a, uh, as a response to that, this then is how you should live. And so that, I've yet to find anyone or any other face of them, again, that has, uh, that says that. And so that's why I tell students, this is why I believe, because, because it doesn't make sense. That you're now blessed, therefore live this way, versus live this way, and then you are blessed. So since we've been chosen by God, right, given his spirit, received mercy through our living hope, and have been saved unto an untouched inheritance, Peter says, now, therefore, prepare your mind for action and be sober-minded. Right, be ready and clear-headed. Calm, collected, self-controlled, and as you're doing that, set your, set your hope fully on the grace that will be yours when Jesus is revealed. Right? Our hope is to be on Christ and his grace and nothing else. And then we are urged right, to be holy as our Heavenly Father is holy. Right? And holy means being set apart, right? being different, namely be by the way that we live our lives. God calls us uh, to be like him. Right? Uh, God, God's goal for every single believer, uh, man, woman, old, young, is to be like Jesus. That's what the Spirit is doing in every Christian's life. It's making us more and more like Jesus, right? It's this reality that we uh, are God's sons and daughters, right? And he's our Heavenly Father, and therefore we're called to bear, right, the family resemblance, and that is what he's working, right? So, you know, we just had kids church, so a lot of you, we were a lot of kids in here, right? And they bear the family resemblance, right? Not only in the way that they look, right, but as well they bear the resemblance in the ways that they act, in their personality, right? Which sometimes brings joy, and sometimes, right, brings irritation, right, not right, um, which Hannah always reminds me when I get irritated sometimes with a young, uh, a little daughter, Zuri, she's like, you know, that's exactly what you do, right, and I'm like, yeah, I know, but it's cute when I do it, um, it's not cute when, it's not cute when she does it, right, so that's, that, that's, that's what God is working in us, right, he's working in us to bear the resemblance that we not only, that we look like him, that we act like him, that we think like him, that we have the same desires that he has, the things that he loves, we love, and the things that he hates are the things that we hate as well. But by having this family resemblance, by being his son or daughter in a world that is not, um, is going to what inevitably lead to the persecution, right, that Peter is talking about. So we're called to live holy lives, again, because God is holy, and we're urged to flee from those things that we used to do in our ignorance, right? The ways of this world, the ways that we are now who are in Christ, the way we used to live before God, open our eyes, we're told to avoid those things because we were doing them in ignorance, right? We, we simply didn't we didn't know better. We were living like the world did because we were part of it, um, but the reality is we were ignorant. We didn't know because we were dead in our sins. Right? Paul tells us the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 18. He says, Now, this I say, intensifying the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, right? in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Right, which is, I believe, a good reminder for us as well as for those who are Christians who walk for a while. Sometimes it's easy to look at the world and judge people, but the reality is we're no different. We're, no, we're not special or any better than anyone else. We as well walked right in ways of ignorance before we knew any better, before God opened our eyes uh, to the truth that we now know. Right? We were living as best as we did. We would live with the information we had. We were doing what we thought were right, right? but oftentimes those things led to things that were displeasing to God. But Paul, uh, Peter is telling us here right now that our eyes are open to to truth, now that we have been awakened to that, now we're called uh, to walk into that, right? We can't claim ignorance anymore, right? Like getting back to the kid thing, right? If you have a five-year-old and when they turn 15, there's, there's certain things that a five-year-old does that you're going to try to correct them on and, and you know, uh, discipline them on and that kind of thing, right? Uh, but when they're 15, 
if they do those similar things, you're going to be a little bit more irritated, right? Because you aren't, you're not a kid anymore. Like, if you're 10 years older, you know, you know what's right, you know what's wrong. We, we've kind of gone over this over these past 10 years, right? You can't claim ignorance anymore. And so there's the same thing with us as Christians. Once our eyes are open, right, we can't claim ignorance. And so as we've given truth, we're then called uh, to walk into that. Right, so we have this knowledge, and we've been given grace, so we walk in it, and we do so, as Peter tells us in verse 20, as those who are redeemed by Christ, who was chosen by God before the foundation of the world. And God raises Jesus and gave him glory, so that as we try to live holy lives in the knowledge that we've been given, uh, we do so as those who have our faith and our hope fully set on God. So my favorite uh, uh, Christmas movie uh, that we'll be watching, I guess, here in a few months is uh, Jingle All the Way. Uh, It's a 90s classic, and as a 90s kid, I love it a lot, so if you haven't seen it, you should. Uh, So starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad, um, set just north of here in the the Twin Cities. Uh, And in the movie, it's kind of set up in this world where... uh, Arnold is a dad who's very neglectful and forgets things. He makes a lot of promises, but he never keeps them, right? And so he's always kind of letting his family down in certain ways, sometimes showing up, sometimes not. Uh, and so it's Christmas time, uh, and he misses his, his son's karate school uh, or his karate class. His son gets a new belt, and he misses it. Son's very angry, um, very disappointed. So Arnold goes to his room and says, hey, I want to make this up to you. Like, what do you want? Whatever you want for Christmas, I'm going to get it for you. And then his son immediately jumps into action and says, I want this Turbo Man doll, which is the hottest doll on the market. Everybody's going to get a dad. Whoever doesn't get this dad is going to be a real loser. Of course, Lana says, hey, that's not going to be you, right? Uh, he's going to bed, and his wife's like, hey, remember that Turbo Man doll I told you about months ago to get? And he's like, yeah. He's like, you got in there, right? He's like, yeah, 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 of course, of course. And she's like, cool, because if you try to get it now, it's going to be impossible to find, right? And so he freaks out because he doesn't have it. Because that's what his whole role is in the movies, being the forgetful dad, right? And so the next day, he goes and tries to find the toy. Uh, and just as his wife said, it's the hottest toy in the market. It's almost impossible to find. And so the whole movie kind of goes over this whole ridiculous ups and downs, trials and tribulations, as it were, as he's trying to get this toy, uh, as he's trying to get this toy for his son. Right? And what I believe this movie shows us uh, is that one of the reasons why we do hard things and endure hardship, right, is because of hope. Well, what is it that we think will happen in the future if we pursue or do this certain thing? Right? So Arnold thought that if I can get this toy, if I can do this thing, my family would see me as you know, a guy who keeps his promises, who keeps his word. I will be the hero. My son will love me. All these things will happen. And because he had that hope that if he can get this toy, that's what will happen, he was willing to endure all the crazy things that happened throughout the movie. Again, so I believe this shows us the reality that what we place our hopes in, right, in a lot of ways is what drives us, where we put our hope and faith in certain promises, uh, and then we pursue those things thinking that if we can get them, they will deliver on those promises, right? So some of us, you know, some people put their hope in sex, believing that sex is the highest pleasure we can achieve, and we should always pursue our pleasures, right, Uh, no matter what, sometimes even to numb our reality, and so it drives men and women to chase partners at all costs. Right, or some put their hope in a certain, certain positions or titles in the workplace, thinking that this is what will grant them worth and meaning. And so they chase them by, you do well in school and try to get a good job and move up the ranks by any means necessary. Or some put their hope in money, right, thinking that if I can, that will bring them security and all the things that will make one happy. And so they do whatever it takes to attain it, right? Again, good grades, get a good school, good extracurricular. So if you can get that job and make the money to get the security to bring you the happiness that you think the money will bring. 
Or some put their hopes in relationships, right, or marriage, thinking that having that certain friend or by being married or having that significant other, I'm going to be complete or I'm going to be satisfied and content. So then we pursue relationships or marriage or whatever it is, even if it might be unhealthy, so I can attain my hope. Right? And there's so many other things that we put our hopes in and many reasons why we do it, right, like uh, uh, intelligence or beauty or politics. But, but the reality is whatever it is, whatever you, we put our hopes in in this world outside of Christ, no matter what it is, at some point it's going to fail us, right? At some point it's going to let us down, right? And while all these things are not bad in and of themselves, right, money's not some terrible evil thing, and while marriage is a beautiful thing, and so are friendships and relationships we were created for them, and sex is a good and beautiful thing as well, they were never meant, though, to be our ultimate hope, right? To bear the full weight of all our deepest longings and desires. Right, they're used by God to do those things, but in and of themselves, for the sake of themselves, they cannot do that. And these hopes, they, they, this is what drives us, which is why, as Christians, our hope is a person who is alive and will never die and will never fail. Our hope is based on the faith of the promises of the one who cannot lie, whose plans cannot be stopped. It's rooted in something that has already been done, right, which points ahead to what will assuredly come, which is Jesus, who brings with him salvation and grace. But again, as Christians, this hope is what shapes us and causes us to live in accordance with us. That, that if this Jesus is coming back for sure, then we want to live lives that honor him and that are befitting of, the, of his people. And lives that will resemble how we're going to live, right, in the new heavens, in the new earth. Right, Peter says uh, in 2 Peter 3.13, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So if that's where we're going, we are ought to live like that. Now, but as we live by this living hope, we can choose to pursue work right, for him and not for self-glory or simply for money um, because we know that this pleases him and we'll be rewarded and that he is who defines our value and he alone is our security that won't fail unlike the things of this world. Right, we can still long for relationship or marriage, right, but, but should that not happen, we know that Christ and his family, right, the church, can satisfy our soul so that it doesn't become our ultimate hope to combat loneliness and unfulfillment. Well, we don't look to things like sex to bring us the, the ultimate satisfaction and human experience that is promised, often promised, right? It's this hope that allows right, our brothers and sisters who struggle uh, with same-sex attraction to endure and live chaste lives because they know that the hope and what Christ promises and what Christ offers is so much better and is guaranteed and cannot be altered. Right, and if you're here today and you don't know this Jesus or you don't know this hope, right, of which we're, we're speaking of, uh, speak with, you know, Will or any of the elders, uh, and they'll gladly tell you this free gift that's offered uh, to all. Right, again, we as Christians, we're not special, we're not lovely people. God didn't look at us and say, man, I got to have him or her on my team, like, because they are rock stars. Like, no, we were, we, were, we were hot messes, and in a lot of ways, we're all still hot messes, right? And a lot of the issues and trials, a lot of times in our life, right, if we're honest, Come from, come, come from messes that we create our own selves because of our own sin, right? We're still wrestling, we're still battling, but we're simply those who God opened our eyes to see the truth, to see his grace, to see our need for him, and it allowed us to become sons and daughters of this king and to have this hope of which we talk about, right? A hope that enables us to endure suffering and live holy lives unto God. Christian, the risen Christ is yours, and not Christian, he can be yours as well. He is alive and he cannot die, and because of this hope, our hope is sure. So set your hopes fully on him, endure suffering, and live holy lives with your eyes trained on Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. We thank you that you have called us to be your own. 
We thank you that you have given us a living hope in your son, Lord, that no matter what goes on in our world, no matter what goes on in our life, Lord, no matter what trials and tribulations, this hope is, is alive, this hope is sure because it is in your son. Um, and we look forward to the day that our salvation is complete when he returns. It makes all things new, Lord. It makes us new and we live forever with you in eternity and bliss, Lord. But until that day, help us to endure persecution. Help us to be bold. Help us to live holy lives, not to earn your blessing, not to earn your favor, not so that you can be happy with us and we can be called your sons and daughters, Lord, but because you already smiled upon us, because you've already blessed us, because you've already saved us and called us your sons and daughters, Lord, and may we then live in a response to that. We thank you for this grace, we thank you for this truth, uh, and we thank you for, for Jesus who is our living hope. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.